You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, Grace Bible Church. Hi, my name is Pastor Dan. I have the privilege of sharing one of these Christmas sermons with you guys today. And as you can see, we are going to be talking about a song of celebration coming from Luke chapter 1. Um, But before we get there, I just want to say this. It's eight more days till Christmas. Uh, I was waiting. I was waiting for something, some kind of reaction. Ninety percent of you are like, "Huh." Maybe you got a few of you are like, "Hooray!" You know, and uh, a couple of humbugs out there, I'm sure, right? So, whatever your attitude towards Christmas or towards this season or towards the all the shenanigans, I'm glad you're here with us today, as we get to look at. A song of celebration and how to celebrate Christmas. And that's going to be the topic of today's um, sermon here today. As we've been doing, we have been lighting the Advent wreath. And each one of these candles has a different special representation of what Christmas is about in the season that we have. If you were here with us the first weekend Sunday on December, in December, we lit this candle. And it was a reminder of the anticipation of Christmas, the anticipation of Christ's coming, the hope that the prophets foretold about all throughout Scripture. And then last week, Pastor Dave talked about the preparation and remembering and, and having these different methods of being able to remember what Christ has done. It's the, it's the candle of faith, the candle that helps us remember that Christ is indeed coming and to be ready. And today, we get to light this special candle over here in the backside that is the color pink. And it is the candle of celebration. Can I hear a celebration today? Yeah. It bothers me sometimes. It's like, why is it so different? Why is it pink? And it, and it comes across as there is so much joy in the Christmas season. There is so much joy because of Jesus that it is different than anticipation. It is different than the preparation, the work that is done to have faith towards the season. This actually changes our life, our, our joy, our emotion, our feeling. All of it comes down to that. And so today we're talking about joy. Sometimes this candle is even called the shepherd's candle because in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all people. A message that the angels declared and sang about and were so excited to share with with shepherds. And then those shepherds obviously went to go and see what all the singing was about, what all the joy was about. And you know, we light this candle, these candles here today as, as as a representation, as a as a way to remember Jesus better. Because during this course of season, it's just so easy to get, you know, strung along with all the different hubbub and what's going on and, and the different celebrations that are going on, no doubt. And, and we need to come back to this simple light because Jesus is the true light that was entering into the world. And the darkness cannot overcome it. And so we need to remember Jesus as we come into this season to be able to celebrate properly. And so I just think about so many times how it's so easy to just get caught up in the lists of what to do. Even one of my daughters, who's only eight, came in tears just 
yesterday just worked up about all that needs to get done before Christmas. And it's just, all right, we're going to make a list. Here's how we do it, you know, and to just take it systematically and with what time you have. But then realizing, like, we're, are we setting her up for failure, you know, just to always get strung out with all these things that we have to do. And I was just realizing just how um, just inundated we are with all of these Christmas things. When I was doing youth group and I was sharing with our small group guys, the seventh and eighth graders, and, and I was asking them different icebreaker questions about like, what was your favorite gift ever? Or like, how do you like your Christmas presents? Do you like them wrapped? Do you like them in bags? Do you like them unwrapped, just sitting under the tree? Less work, right? And everyone was like, has to be wrapped, obviously. I'm just like, all right, I have faith in this next generation. All right, cool, that they will continue with traditions. This is good. But then I asked them, what is your least favorite Christmas song? And almost 100% of them came back, Santa Baby. <laughs> least favorite. And I'm sure right now some of you are thinking about your least favorite. You know, if you happen to work in one of those stores that plays the same eight songs over and over again, you're like, this one is the worst. Um, or it, maybe it's somebody else ruined this song for you. They sang it off key, I don't know, whatever. Um, but we all might have our, our least favorites. But I just started getting on this track like, man, there are a lot of Christmas songs out there. I actually went and did a little bit of a Google search, which so I don't know how accurate this is, but anyway. 49, over 49,000 Christmas songs with just the title Christmas in the title. 49,000. That's not including Silent Night, you know, Joy to the World, not even The Little Drummer Boy, okay? I, don't, I think we're over a million songs and everyone's rendition because they can do it better, right? We have so many renditions of the same song that it's just like, wow. I mean, we've got silly songs from I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas, right? So I Want Two Front Teeth, something about, um, you know, Grandmother Dominic, yeah, Dominic the Donkey, right? Where did this one come from? I mean, I heard one the other day about a sad poinsettia. I don't know why, but we come up with these new songs that are just ridiculous. And I'm not preaching against those things. I have kids. It's fun. They love the hippopotamus song. You know, they love to sing those things. And, and there should be some fun in a song of celebrating Christmas, right? But with that, just think about it. Christmas has inundated every genre that we, that we have created in music, from rock to rap, yep, there are rap Christmas songs out there. Pop to polka, okay, country to classic, hymns to hip-hop. We've covered it all. It's inundated all those things, and so many different artists have done their renditions of this. But I wonder if in the abundance of Christmas and the Christmas songs that we have, I wonder if in this abundance we have become callous to being able to celebrate with joy during the Christmas season. I don't know if this is a, a part of why we just don't feel like celebrating all the time or, or what to do with that, but I think it plays a role. But today we are going to look at three reasons why we can always celebrate at Christmas. And today we're going to go back to what I believe to be the very first Christmas song ever sang. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And if you have, don't have a Bible with you today, you can grab that pew Bible there in front of you, and I believe it is page 856. 
I'd just love for you to just join with us in opening God's word together. And while you're turning there, I just want to catch you up to speed because we don't have time to read all of Luke chapter 1 to get to this point to bring you along on the narrative and the story. But by verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, Mary has already received the message from the angel that she has been chosen by God to have Jesus. And that she has accepted this humble task by saying, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Then it tells that she almost immediately left Nazareth, her hometown, and then went to go visit her relative, her aged relative, Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant with what would soon, who would soon be John the Baptist. And it says that upon entering the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, as Mary greeted Elizabeth, that the baby inside of Elizabeth jumped for joy because Jesus, within the, within the womb of Mary, had entered the room. And it's from there Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, pronouncing blessings to Mary and to the coming Savior. And it is here that we see Mary respond with a song. I don't know, maybe she just liked musicals, okay? But more likely, she has been thinking and, and thinking about this song that had been taking shape in her mind during this journey, this four to five day journey from where she left in Nazareth to go visit Elizabeth, she had been thinking about what the angel had told her. She had been thinking about her God, and she had been thinking about all of the Old Testament songs and psalms that talked about this appearing, talked about Jesus. And now that she gets to be a part of this story, Words and songs that Mary must have loved even from childhood. And so with that, it's, it's going to be Mary's song. Also, it can be called the Magnificat, which is the Latin word for the first line within her song, which means magnify. So with that, let's pray. Before we read God's word, we read this song, let's pray and ask God's blessing over our time. God, as we look at Mary and we look at her song, I pray, God, that it would bring us back to the core of Christmas, the, the reason for the celebration. I pray, God, that wherever we are at right now, whether we are struggling with this season, whether we are struggling with um, just our position right now, or if we're overjoyed, God, I pray that we would come away with true reason, true and faithful reasons that we can celebrate you this season. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Mary's song has, as I said before, three ways that we can always celebrate during Christmas. And the first is actually found in verses 46 through 49. So I'm going to read that section and follow along with me in your Bible. And it says this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And when we stop and pause and just look at these verses just for a moment, very, at the very beginning, in verses 46 and 47, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's saying when she says, my soul and my spirit, it's meaning everything within her 
is magnifying and rejoicing to give praise and to give celebration to the Lord. Why? As we keep reading, is it because her name is going to be immortalized forever? She does mention that, but I don't think that's the main reason. I'm going to give that an eh. No. Is it because that people are going to make statues of her and remember her all? Eh. Is it because people are going to pray to her? Eh. I think she'd be upset if she found out people were praying to her and not to Jesus. I really do. Because that's never listed for us to do in Scripture. But instead, what does it say that her soul magnifies? I magnify and I praise the God who is my Savior. So we see Mary celebrate God's salvation for her. On top of that, we see her humble heart. Okay, Mary was indeed special. She was chosen by God to give birth to Jesus, but Mary makes it very clear in the very first verse that she magnifies God because she's a sinner in need of a Savior who is God. So instead of boasting about herself and how great she is and how wonderful she is, in verse 48, in the first part of it, she says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, being her. So she viewed herself and believed herself to be a humble servant and not a holy saint. That's what we see. She viewed herself as a humble servant of God. She is a perfect example of what I believe Paul was talking about to the Corinthians. So what we know about the Corinthians is they were very prideful and, and sinful, even church. But this is what Paul advised them in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He's like, this is, remember this, guys. This is important. This is the heart I want you guys to have. And he says this. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, God chose Mary, humble, lowly, and in the world's eyes, weak Mary, so that God could receive the most glory and be magnified. And Mary recognizes this. She magnifies God for using her as a humble estate. But then she goes on to share her singing about her Savior and not over her struggles. Because verses 48b and through 49, she says this, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. That last part is super important. Holy is his name. Mary was saying that God above is set apart. He is free from sin, and his plan is perfect and pure. That's very important when she is going to be going through one of the hardest circumstances and situations that nobody has ever gone through before to be pregnant with a child that is of God. No one else is going to believe that. And in her day and age, like let's, let's back the camels up a little bit, okay? Let's get down to real life earth in her world. Let's like put ourselves in her shoes. This was a society that was a very tight-knit honor and shame society where 
people were going to start talking. Tongues were going to start wagging with judgment of her unfaithfulness to Joseph. She was going to be labeled as a failure, a disappointment, a lost cause. And just because of being pregnant and they didn't understand that it was of God, then she was going to be devalued. You know, the high probability that she even knew that she was going to be divorced by her betrothed-to-be husband like was very high, and that she would be left to raise this child on her own. You know, maybe in her heart and in her mind, she just believed that Joseph would accept this news and would understand, okay, and would believe her. But even then, just their entire lives would be marked by this child born out of wedlock. So you just kind of understand that she is accepting this, knowing that this is going to be a tough life. That this thing that she has been called to is going to be difficult. But she still says, generations will call me blessed because the mighty God has done great things for me. As difficult as these circumstances were, I see her heart not drive her to cry or lament over these circumstances, but rather her celebration was driven by God's salvation for her. She kept coming back to, God is my Savior. So the one thing I want us to remember today is that our celebration should indeed magnify his salvation. When we sing songs, Let us remember who we were, lost, without hope. Let us remember how great a time of year this is to celebrate the Savior who is coming for us. As Mary did, to sing and to magnify, to praise and celebrate God. I think a very practical application for us to do is to celebrate by telling our best story. Now, in youth group, I was working with our teenagers and encouraging them to share their best story. And I'm not talking about a fishing story, you know, where that fish just keeps, you know, growing every time you tell it. That's that's not your best story. Or maybe if you're a thrifter, going out and finding that thing that you've been looking for that's just, like, super amazing antique. And you know what? There's this signature on the back. You can't quite make it out. might be George Washington. You know, let's go with it. It's not one of those, those stories, Okay. It's the story, it's your best story. It's about how you came to know God. It's about how God saved you. And what I encourage our teens and what I encourage you to do as well is I I challenge you to write out your story. Not a novel, okay, but like the short version. The version that you can tell in, you know, two to three minutes. A story that you can tell of how powerful, excuse me, it is that, God saved you, and just how joyful you are that you are saved. See, there are three parts to your best story. Just really quickly want to share them with you is this, is that it is who I was before Jesus. And all of us are on the same playing field, okay? Whether you were saved when you were four or 40 or and done really bad things, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners, right? We're all in need of a Savior. That's the same playing field. We all had an issue. We weren't going to heaven but then transition to how I came to believe in Jesus, believing in the gospel. What did you do? Did you pray? Who led you? Who talked to you about God? Who talked to you about Jesus? What impact did that have on your life in that moment? And then who I am now because of Jesus. 
Mary's saying about how she was blessed because she had a Savior. How she had purpose and a meaning, and how she had joy, even in the midst of these trials that were coming ahead of her. So I want to encourage you to practice your story, to prepare it, because for one, it reminds us that, hey, we were once a sinner, but we have a Savior, and his name is Jesus, and he has changed my life. It gives us a reason to celebrate, right? It gives us something to remember who he is and what he's done. So again, I encourage you to prepare, to practice, and to make ready your story, because somebody else's life could be totally transformed because of the two minutes that you share your story with them. They can be like, I I could have hope. This person has joy, something different than I've seen from anybody else. So I encourage you to do that. But Mary moves on to celebrate something else. She celebrates God's salvation, but also she celebrates God's strength. Look with me in verses 50 to 53. It says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Here we see Mary's song. Instead of singing about, oh, how great I am, look at me, that God would choose me, she doesn't do that. Instead, she lists these things that God does for those who have fear towards him. And this isn't like the scared fear, like, like Halloween kind of fear. This is a honor, a love, a respect, a high kind of fear. But she says three things that, that God does for those who fear him. He shows mercy towards them. He shows his strength towards them. And verse 51 says, for the helpless. The helpless, the humble, and the hungry. It says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And I wonder if she's going back in her mind to history. She's going back to even the book of Esther. Where this wicked man named Haman had planned the execution of the Jews. To annihilate all of them. Quietly in his heart and then made plans and strategically involved the king at the time to be able to do this. He actually set up gallows right outside of his house so that he could watch. Kind of messed up, right? But we see in the book of Esther how God totally flipped his plans, his thoughts in his heart, the the prideful, arrogant thoughts. And he was actually the one who was hanged on those gallows. In verse 52, she says this, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I wonder if she's thinking back to Exodus, thinking of how the Israelites were enslaved in in Egypt and how God brought them out by the means of miracles and wonders through God himself, but through Moses, a man who didn't speak well, brought them out of slavery. For the hungry, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And I'm wondering if she's thinking about how God invented this food that would rain down on the Israelites manna every morning. I don't know. But in all these cases, she goes back to saying, he has, he has, he has. You know what she's doing? You know what she's doing? She's, she's singing a playlist of songs that she has memorized. A singing, 
a, a bunch of characteristics of God that she has seen God work in the past that brings her joy to be able to go back to. I think a practical way for us to do this is to do something very similar, is to create that playlist even as you were. Songs that remind us of God's strength, of his faithfulness, of his goodness, of his love towards us. So whatever it is, whether it is you, you create a Spotify account or a Pandora account, whatever, or like your favorite CD, even like your favorite cassette tape, some of us still have those, right? Um, whatever it is, find a way to keep God's character in songs in front of you. But instead of just having it in the background as you're just doing stuff, have, have you ever just stopped to pause and just listen to the words of some of those hymns, of some of those songs, just rich with truth and knowledge of God? During COVID, I created a playlist on my Spotify account. I called it Remember Me. And my goal was to keep it low, not have a ton of songs on there, but just have a couple core songs that I could go to when I felt overwhelmed and I needed to be reminded of truth and as I would do. But one song kept popping up quite frequently right when I needed it to, and it was a song called Still by Red Collective. And I just want to read the first verse in the chorus to you. It says this. It says, in a world in a rush, I will rest and I will trust in you. I will fight, I will strive, but I'll lean all my life on you. You take the pressure off my shoulders. You make the wor- my soul a little lighter. And then the chorus says, you are the still, still waters to my soul. I will rest in your love. I will be still and know you are in control. I will rest in your love. I think it's important for us, like Mary here, She's singing a song that's remembering what God has done in the past, what he has done, who he is, and it's bringing her joy. And instead of just having music that's just running in the background just to, like, fill the noise, let's take some time and imagine if we would intentionally listen to music that brought us back to these core truths. What would that change? We'll leave that for you to find out. But then she ends this song with one final thing that she celebrates, and it's in verses 54 and 55. She says this, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Again, she is remembering past history, but now she is focusing on Israel, and she is celebrating God's word. God's promise to Israel, God's promise to the patriarch Abraham, and how God is steadfast, meaning immovable, meaning faithful. So she celebrates God's steadfastness. One of these promises listed to Abraham is found in Genesis 22, verse 18, and it says this, to a man who is too old to have children, to a wife who is barren and also old. This is what God says to them. And in your offspring shall all the names, sorry, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. See, Abraham would indeed have a son whose name would be Isaac. Isaac would have two sons, one of them named Jacob, who would be the father of 12 sons, the nation of Israel who from this nation, this meager nation, would come this Israelite teenage girl 
would come the Savior of not just Israel, but the whole world. And so fulfilling this promise that all the nations of the earth be blessed. See, Jesus came of a virgin Mary from the, from the tribes of Israel so that the entire world could be blessed to fulfill this promise. Mary knows her stuff. She's singing these praises to God about his word and how he's so faithful and steadfast. And I think she's just reminding herself of maybe a psalm that she had heard when she was in, I don't know what they called it, maybe Sabbath school? I don't know. But in Psalms 136, it's not Sunday school. They didn't have Sunday school. They had something else. But in Psalm 136, this is amazing. Look at this. And just look at how it parallels what she's singing. Verses 23 through um, 26. And I actually want your help for this, okay? I'm going to read the green part. I want you guys to read out loud the red part. Can we do that? All right, cool. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do if you said no. I just figured it out. All right, here we go. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. Good job. And rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. This psalm is interesting enough. 26 times it says this. For his steadfast love endures forever. He says a line at the beginning and then centers their hearts back on this statement that we should also keep close, right? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Just like his promises, they endure forever. And I, so I think it's so important for us to remember and to repeat and to sing and to celebrate the steadfast love of God. Because let's face it, our memories fade. We get distracted. We get confused. But his steadfast love endures forever. And so I was thinking of an application for this point and how Mary would go back and look at Israel to remind her of how God is faithful to his word and how she praises God for that. Um, and I think we need to almost set up these different monuments, as it were, to remind us of how God has been faithful in our lives, in our past, right? Something that my family does, and I'm not saying you have to do this, you can be creative, I believe in you, okay? But my family, we go and we get ornaments um, for the kids for that year. They, we let them pick. And two Saturdays ago, we went out to Hobby Lobby and looked at their you know, vast array of ornaments and stuff like that, and they picked out ornaments. But what we also like to do is to pick a family ornament um, that we can take home that kind of like celebrates that past year, kind of reminds us of how God has worked in our family and in our lives that year. And so if you go and you look at my tree, there might be some pretty weird ornaments up there, Okay. <laughs> And it's not just because my kids pick them for themselves, you know, dinosaurs wearing Christmas hats, stuff like that. We have that. It's fun. But then also we have these really random ones that are families like ornaments that remind us of, of something that God did that year. And sometimes those ornaments are hard to share because they're, they're difficult things that, that we have learned throughout the course of the year. But when we were at Hobby Lobby, I was looking around. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I can't think of like, what God has been doing this year. 
Like, I, forgive me, but I was just like, let's just wait. Let's try and figure out an ornament for this year. So then we waited, and this past week, um, kind of some, some news that was a surprise to us was that my, my grandfather, my pap, passed away on Tuesday. And so when I started thinking, he's at home with the Lord, I'm, I'm excited. He was in his 90s. Like, I was excited for that regard. I was sad because he's, he's the last grandfather on, on Dana and I's side that passed. And I started thinking about that and just started thinking about the legacy of grandparents that we have had and just how thankful I am for each one of them for, for loving us, you know, the way they did, for, for praying for us, for as best as they could, passing down their faith, you know, to their kids and then to us. And I just was thinking, it's like, that's it. That's the ornament this year. It has to remind us of all of our grandparents. It has to remind us of God's steadfastness in the lives of these people that have come before us. But that's just to give you an idea of how to remember, to put instances in our hearts and in our lives to remember the steadfastness of God. Mary's song did just that. It is rich with theology, is rich with truth. But the celebration comes down to this. Are we celebrating God's salvation? Are we celebrating God's strength? Are we celebrating God's steadfastness? So at this time, I'd like to invite the praying forward as I wrap up and as I just remind all of us. Maybe you need to do one of these applications that I brought up to you today. Maybe you need to prepare your story. You need to write it out. You need to write out how God saved you. What did God use to bring you to himself? Maybe in writing it out, you might go, oh, no, I actually, I actually don't have a story to share. But then I encourage you to come and talk to one of us, to talk to the pastors, talk to a friend here. Because we would love nothing more than to be able to celebrate with you right then and there that you can know for sure today that you have a Savior. And it's just simply this. Jesus is the perfect Son of God. He would grow up and would die the perfect death that we needed because we are not perfect and we cannot spend eternity with God forever because of that. And in him dying, he said that all who believed in me would have eternal life. So it is an act of faith that we come not perfect. And then he gives us the best gift ever, his perfection, his righteousness. And then we become children of God. So we would love to talk with you more about that. So you can come up front, talk to me. You can mark it on your Connect card. We would just love to talk with you this week to make sure that you know that you're saved. So you can celebrate with us about this time of year for the salvation that we have. On top of that, angels, we're told, sing and celebrate when just one child of, of, of God comes to him. It's just an awesome time. Also, to celebrate God's strength, to create maybe a playlist of songs or characteristics of God that you go back to constantly. And then lastly, to either pick an ornament or find some way to remember, journal, remember how God has shown his faithfulness, his love, his steadfastness to you this past year. Again, our hope and our prayer is that our celebration would magnify his salvation. So let me pray over you. God, as we wrap up this time looking at Mary's song, 
as she magnified you for being the God of her salvation. God, I pray that each one of us would walk out of here having a better understanding of how faith in you changes our perspective. No matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're faced with, God, I pray that our confidence would be in you, be in the goodness of your word and your love and your grace towards us, and that we would all be able to celebrate this time of year. I thank you, God, for this time. I thank you for your word. May you use it as you see fit, and I leave it in your hands, God. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.